Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. All right, here we are back at the boot camp, Bob. I hope you're ready for the next episode. We are both coming off of some good time uh, away with family, as we talked about in the last episode. And so I, I just got back from South Carolina. You had a little visit to Florida. We had some time away with the fam and Firehouse Subs at Universal, getting to speak at the Firehouse Subs event. And now we're diving back into one of the nation's leading podcasts on church revitalization and replanting, uh, according to page 97 of the SBC Book of Reports. And milking that as far as I can, as I can take it, because it's, it's the one big accolade we have. I think so, Jimbo. I, I do want to rewind. The, I want to ask, did you get a free uh, subs for life card at the Firehouse Sub Convention? Or did you mention that your favorite sub is an Italian sub? That like break that down for me. Did did this did this turn into free sandwiches in any form or fashion for you? In any form or fashion, yes. No firehouse subs. Oh, it did not lead to any firehouse subs. It was a catered event. It was pretty. It was a pretty cool event. The first night of the firehouse subs family gathering, as they call it, or family reunion, was a big wild night of. Olympic games with uh, with like sack racing, huge tricycle races and basketball and axe throwing. And all three of my kids competed. Trip competed with the adults because he's 15. They put him with the adults and Trip tied for third place on the basketball game and then lost the runoff game. Cash tied for third place on tricycle races and one was was uh, won his his playoff there and tricycle races so and there was a lot of free food that night we were the card printing to get our hotel cards at the at the place we stayed was delayed and so they gave us a free breakfast voucher which was a just hotel breakfast buffet which was awesome because i looked on the menu and it was like 28 dollars a head which we would have not paid for our family <laughs> to eat breakfast there. And so for about 150 bucks we of coupon voucher, we so we had some free food for sure, but no Firehouse subs food, actually. All right, but we're still fans of Firehouse, and uh, check them out, right? Absolutely. We recommend Firehouse. I recommend the Italian. I put that, they asked me to write a bio for the section that I spoke at. And so in the bio, I wrote the Italian was my favorite sub at the Firehouse Subs. Speaking of the book of reports saying that we are one of the nation's leading podcasts on church revitalization replanting, there was something else that happened at SBC this year. The, the first resolution was an affirmation of the rural mission field. And so in response to that, we have brought the rural guru, the expert of all things rural, the megasite rural pastor, the multi-site rural pastor with the nation's leading podcast, brand new on rural pastoring and leadership, who gets his own seat, his own table at the Lifeway Breakfast Andy Addis. Welcome to the boot camp, Andy. 
I love the accolades, but I think you have no substantive basis for making at least 90% of those claims. I just want to make sure <laughs> we're all aware of that. <laughs> Neither does that's, anybody that's how else. most of the intros yeah. happen on a boot camp. Yes. <laughs> well, it's wonderful to be with you guys. And yes, we're very excited about that resolution that uh, that was actually written the year before. Uh, but made it to the the floor this past year and to see that attention. So, yep, we're bringing rural back, right? Andy, tell us about the rural landscape since COVID hit and now we're coming out of it. Like we are often having discussions about sub- suburbs and cities and that sort of thing. Tell us about the rural landscape. Yeah, it's been really interesting because rural has been uh, in ministry often a stepping stone over the years. It's like you can get your start there, but you're always trying to climb the ladder up to a, a more urban setting. But since COVID, there has been this return culturally to remote work or I guess not turn, but a, a turn to remote work, a little bit more of a disconnect. And and people decided, hey, if infection becomes a thing in the past, maybe a little distance isn't too bad. So there's really been an entrance into rurality that has been very interesting to watch. As a matter of fact, it happened before COVID. There was an article in The Atlantic Weekly that talked about the five largest metro cities had actually declined over the last three years, seeing um, a kind of a, a return to some urban lifestyle. So there there has been this population, I wouldn't say boon or anything, but there has been a drift from some urban life to to rural life. And with that, what's been really exciting on my my end is that for the first time in a long time, I'm talking to a lot of young ministry types who are being led toward rural from the beginning, That, that, that it's not an option or where they have to go, but they have a desire to do work in out of the way places. And that's that's pretty exciting. So you talk about this, not necessarily a boom, but a shift back to rural life. How would you, I know this is a question you get, and it's not an easy answer. How do you define, what does it mean rural? Like when you say rural, at at what point does that boom turn something rural into suburban or into urban? I mean, what's the delineation? Yeah, well, um, no, Uh, you know, I'm not going to take your bait and get... (laughs) (laughs) You, what you don't understand is that in rural America, trying to define rural is the quintessential jello to a wall. Uh, everybody's got a different definition. It's like, well, my truck's louder than your truck, so we're rural. That's that's the way that works. So if you define it based on sparse, sparsity versus density of population, that's how the government likes to do that. And so they, they have strict guidelines for how they define rural. There are others who define rural based on a distance that you have to travel for resources. So like if your town has the Walmart, it can't be rural. But the towns that are coming to yours because you have the Walmart, those are rural. What I've found uh, that that we have done with the Rural Pastor Podcast and with our, our rural strategies is that rur- just like we've always done in any missiological sense, rurality is a mindset. It's a people group. There are rural people in communities of 10, 20, 30, 40,000 people, uh, that, and they're legitimately rural. So let me give you an example. A lot of people would say that I'm not in a rural context because I'm in Hutchinson, Kansas. But Hutchinson, Kansas has Walmart, uh, Atwoods, Tractor Supply, and Orschland. 
Now that's a rural mindset. I mean, if you if you just drive down the main street, we, we don't have anything else. We don't have a Target. We, we don't have big name this or that, but we have three tractor supply stores. So there's a mindset in that community and it is a rural mindset and we're servicing rural communities. So you can define it by numbers. You can define it by resources. You can define it by economics. But I think the best way to define it is by mindset. What does a, a rural people group look like? They think differently. They think communally. And so we define rurality based on a people group that experience and enjoy rural life. Could you give us some of the thoughts or some of the preferences, just some of the the mindset of the rural context? You know, it's hard to give us like a complete list, but just some of the top ones that you've experienced in that those who are listening to podcasts that might be thinking about moving into a rural area, what are some of the things that if they're the new guy in town, what, what are some of the things they need to know about the rural mindset? Man, that that's a it's a great question. And there's also some huge geographic differences too, because rural South versus rural Northeast versus rural uh, Northwest, I mean, that they're just different. Um, so for instance, let me give you, I'm Midwest, right? I'm, uh, I'm in Kansas. And so one of the, one of the things you would expect if you move to the Midwest is that you're going to think everybody is so nice. It's this Midwestern niceness, but the problem is that's as far as it goes. Everybody will be <laughs> nice to you. Now stay away from us. It is our job to be pleasant. Should I run into you, but I don't want anything to do with you. That, that is, that, that is a rural niceness in the South. It goes beyond niceness to, uh, polite insults, right? Uh, where, yeah. <laughs> well, aren't you just so sweet means that was the stupidest thing I've ever heard. And it's just different ways that are communicated rurally. But there are three standards by which if you were to enter into ministry in a rural setting, almost in any geographic setting, Dallas Powell, uh, a CPC for a North American Mission Board, wrote a paper uh, and he outlined this. And I know it's in other places, but I always quote him because it's my favorite source for this. There are three kind of uh, markers of rural ministry. And they are that you'll deal with vocational identity because so many of the folks in rural ministry are covo, bivo, or volunteer. Full-time is not the majority. Second, isolation. Ministry is lonely as it is, but when legitimately you're the only evangelical pastor in a community of a hundred or a thousand Uh, that isolation gets real and gets real, real fast. And then low resources. And this is for a community, not just the church. But like, I remember when I was uh, in college and uh, doing an interim pastor and a youth pastor, we had to drive three hours to get to a really bad concert. I mean, if you, if you wanted to enjoy part of the Christian culture, it was, it was not, you just couldn't do it. And so there are low resources, but those three things, if you, and and I'm really selling it now, aren't I? Right. You come to rural ministry, you'll feel lonely. You won't know who you are and you won't have anything to do, But, but that is part of the challenge of rural ministry. And what that does is it really puts you at a place where I, I love this. If you are in rural ministry and you're making headway, you're really making a difference. There's not a lot of cultural Christianity in truly rural settings. I can vouch that we for sure have some rural audience with the Replant Bootcamp and have even had uh, a guest or two out of the rural context. We've had one guest that was a pastor that came on while he was in the middle of deer hunting and used his phone to come on as a guest with us. We had another guest that is his nickname is big country and he had to drive to 
several miles down the road to a friend's house to park in the driveway to borrow their satellite internet Wi-Fi so that he could connect with us. And so, yeah, there's my people for sure. We, yeah, we've got we've got some of your people listening to the Replant Bootcamp. Listen, what we should do sometime is we can just go through what it, signs that you're in a rural church. Uh, I literally have been behind uh, in the drive-through bank line behind a riding lawnmower, and I've been through a McDonald's drive-through behind a horse and buggy. I mean, <laughs> there we go. You have not lived until you've worried about that getting on the front of your car. <laughs> Oh yeah. I, I remember one time I texted you, Andy, because I was doing a consult with a church, the most rural church I've ever done a consult with. And I met the guy at the church and he said, Hey, do you want to go grab a cup of coffee at Cracker Barrel? And I said, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, he said, well, just follow me. And so I got in my car and I followed him. And 45 minutes later, we got to <laughs> Cracker Barrel. That, that's what we call low resources. If you have to drive 45 minutes to a Cracker Barrel, you're doing rural ministry. <laughs> Absolutely. Let's do a little bit of flip side and say, what are some of the advantages for a pastor coming to a rural congregation and serving in that context? What are some of the joys and some of the advantages? Well, yeah, and this is the the reason that you do it. First of all, rural ministry is primarily relational. So if you love relationships and, and and you move at the speed of trust, right, then rural ministry is a great place to be because legitimately... When I go to the Walmart, because we are the town with the Walmart, it's not a 10-minute in-and-out thing. It's a 90-minute it's a commitment because you're going to stop every other aisle, and we're going to pray with somebody, and we're going to hear about what's going on in this neck of the woods. And, and so it's very relational. The second thing is, and I love this. I've got some staff at our church, Crosspoint, that that don't appreciate this phrase, but I'm going to use it anyway because I've been using it, and I'm just going to. But in rural ministry, excellence is relative. What it takes to pull off a ministry that will get people to think it's quality in Kansas City is not what you need in Waukee, Kansas. It legitimately, if you get a couple of plasma screens and a decent sound system, I mean, you have just become the high-tech church in town. You know what I mean? So I'm not saying that the bar is set low. What I'm saying is that it's easier to achieve excellence with less resources in, in many of these places. And the the best part of that is your church feels valued. They have pride in doing some of those things. Have you ever been to a small out-of-the-way church and they wanted to show you something that they had just put in, they had just installed or they just started doing, and and your, your thought was, man, this would never fly where, where we are, but they were just as proud as could be of it. Well, that's because in rural ministry, that means something in downtown wherever, or it means something on the fringe of this place. So it's very relational. You really do get to make an impact and see it up close and personal. And the ability to do excellence is more attainable in that environment. And I would give me, let me take one more here as well. Part of our personal goal, our missiology, is that we want to tithe every community. Means that wherever we have a cross point location, we want to see ten percent of the ch- the community changed. Which now, if you're in Fort Worth, that's going to be an amazing work of God, right? But if I'm in a community, we've got several of our locations where it's twenty six hundred people. You have two hundred people coming to church there. You're real close to having ten percent of the city. And when you have ten percent of the city. In your ministry, you are no longer a church in that community. You are that community's church. 
Mm-hmm. And the influence that you have is monumental on everything, not just uh, not just as a church, but with the school board, with the city council, with the entire community. Uh, you re- in rural ministry, you have the opportunity to actually move the needle on on culture, which is uh, just a, a great feel and a great position. Huge responsibility for those rural pastors because of that. I love that. I think the emphasis on relational. Uh, it's something we try to push a lot here on the boot camp, talking about the importance of building relationships, leading change relationally, shepherding people relationally, and that excellence should never supersede the importance of relational ministry, but it also shouldn't be ignored. And I love that kind of that rural mindset that you speak of facilitates that and allows for that. One of the questions I had is is we we see isolation as an issue really across the board Mm. for pastors, I mean, in any context. And so we often encourage guys, hey, man, build friendships, build relationships with other pastors uh, because they they get what you're going through. They can relate to your concerns and issues. But I've found when I get in some of these like really isolated rural contexts, man, that's hard. That's not for me uh, as a pastor in an urban context. I mean, I can find another pastor real quick. Right. I mean, I have a list, a really long list of pastors I could go have coffee with today. And it wouldn't take me 10 minutes to get to the coffee shop, wouldn't take them 10 minutes and we could all meet together. And so talk to us about how do, how do you, what advice do you have for boot campers that are a little more isolated? They're not as close to other pastors that they can build relationships with, but there's st- there's still something important to building those friendships and relationships. Man, I, I think that's such a good word. And and the the number one thing you have to be is intentional. Uh, you're not going to fall into quality relationships in rural ministry. Uh, you you have to make a decision to go out and and seek those. Can I, can I do a little plug here? One of the things that I think I've been invited on here for is to help promote the fact that we are trying to combat some some of that isolation by starting a new community. It's uh, the rural pastor podcast dot com, and uh, it is a podcast that I have the privilege of hosting, and I have a regular volunteer guest co-host with me in Mark Clifton. Uh, and, oh, dude, he is not only hilarious, but the the wisdom in this guy. And the purpose is that we're promoting the whole rural mentality. We're validating that role, and we're trying to create a community. Because the truth is we can't teleport yet, and uh, rural guys are bivocational. They can't take every other weekend off or, or three days off in the week to go see somebody. So they're going to have to intentionally connect with the community lines that are available. And so we're trying to create some of that there. But Additionally, uh, one of the things that I guess, you know, some people are going to like this, some people won't, but I just was at a funeral for um, a friend of mine who, uh, he was a pastor and uh, he died of cancer and uh, funeral, of course, was a sad but joyous occasion. But what was interesting was that there was a Southern Baptist pastor, which was his tribe. There was an Assembly of God pastor and uh, they were in a Methodist church and doing this. And so I think in rurality, you you have to be able to open your arms up to a little more ecumenical friendships. Uh, You don't have to agree with everything. Matter of fact, one of the jokes was that when Mark passed, he knew that his friend from the AG church would be doing the message. Well, he's Southern Baptist, friends AG goes, I really want him to talk, but here's what you can't talk about. <laughs> and I, I thought that was great that he gave directives ahead of time, but but that just showed the value of their friendship. So 
I think you have to intentionally look for, you have to pursue those, you have to value them. And then the other is you have to make yourself available. The one thing that can happen is in isolation, rural guys value, we'll fight about whose town is smaller or who has less. And it's kind of a a pride (laughs) thing. Well, you can't let that seep into that isolation part of it because it's like, man, I haven't had a conversation with anybody. I haven't gone out with anybody and I I haven't dated my wife in how long because we can't boy, you can't do that. You have to intentionally stay healthy on the relationship side. And whether it's connecting online or connecting with some guys that are of similar values that are close, you just have to be intentional. Andy, tell us a little bit about your heart for the rural pastor. I know it comes through in in a lot of our conversations that we get to have with you in your role as a, a volunteer coordinator of rural strategy for the replant team of the North American Mission Board. Just that, that passion comes through. But just tell us about the guys who are in your view. When you think about the podcasts, the resources, the the things that you produce, who's the guy in your mind that you're really hoping to encourage and, and help out? My goodness. I, I love the guy. Let, let me describe a guy that's going to describe all kinds of guys. He comes home after working all day at a construction site to greet his kids in, who are playing video games. They, they hug his neck and he sends him out so he can go see his wife who just got done working all day as the receptionist at the school because they got to have the two incomes to support the fact that now he's got to walk down the hall after he kisses her for coming home and sit in the makeshift third bedroom office where he's going to pound out a message for Sunday morning, Sunday evening, and do the Wednesday night youth group. And this guy is only getting paid a stipend. He's got to keep his other full-time job because that's how he insures the family. Uh, He's driving a 1990s truck, but he does it every week because he loves the Lord and he believes that God has got him there for a purpose. And that's the kind of guy, because he's given everything. He's given his life to places that everybody else is flying over. Um, and, and he's volunteering to coach at the high school. And he is showing up to every community event because he wants to make an impact. He's throwing spaghetti on every wall he has ever seen, just seeing what might stick. That's the guy. He's burning the candle at both ends and, and given everything that he's got. And I want to do everything that I can to resource, to love on, and to applaud, to pat on the back and to pour into that kind of guy uh, because no one else is doing what they're doing and no one else is lifting them up. And I think that it's time that there are some of us who lift those guys up. That's so good. I, as you're describing that, it's really not all that different from the the missionaries that we champion all across the world, right, that we send to the middle of nowhere of these other countries, and and they're dealing with a lot of these same things. Uh, although they're usually, I mean, these days most of them aren't full time just missionaries anymore, right? They're they're bivocational or co-vocational of some kind. That's the way we've kind of shifted our international mission strategy, and we're sending them over there to to do some other vocation while they're on mission, and they're extremely isolated, and they don't have the same access to resources and. So one of the things I've heard you talk about, I'd love for you to share real briefly, is is even not only a shift of how do we have resources like the Rural Pastor Podcast and the Replant Hub and things like that, but what would it look like for churches in suburban, urban context to think of the rural mission field as a mission field that they need to partner with? Yeah, you know, that's, that's a whole brand new world because we've always thought about missions as being over there. So let me just brief, to, to do this briefly, let me explain 
who we are as a church. Now, I, I'm coming to you with my hat of the Rural Pastor Podcast and the, the NAM Rural Strategist, but I also pastor a rural multi-site, video-driven rural multi-site. So I know there's a word in there that offended at least half of you, right? Video-driven multi-site. Some, but, but just bear with me on this. The reason that we do it is that we find that as a church, we are able to plant in locations, in ways, in, in, in places, and with guys that couldn't be done if they weren't part of a network like this. So our guys don't preach every weekend. Most of them don't want to, but they are released to do 40 to 60 hours a week of uh, actual discipling and, and mentoring because somebody else is carrying that weight. They don't have to do the books because the central services does the books for them. And, and, and therefore, we can hire a high school biology teacher to do this part-time gig because God's called them to it and they want to do it, but, but they can't do it full-time there. What I'm getting at is that there are churches who, if they would multiply their resources and they would see themselves as sending and strengthening and starting, that they could personally have that input. So, so let me give you an example. One of our locations, their mission trip this summer for their youth group was a two-week tour through the state of Kansas where they went to three different of the other churches in the network to either do facility repair or backyard Bible clubs. And they were legitimately helping in rural places within the network where the needs were known and doing real mission work. And so I love that, Jimbo, that you just said. It's kind of like they're the missionaries. They absolutely are. And, and we need to see that a lot of these places where guys are going and uh, and they have to sacrifice so much to do that, it's not a career move. It's not a step up. They are missionaries called and doing an effective work. And that's why we get a chance to support them like this. Man, it's been so great to have you with us, Andy, to the boot campers. Just to recap a little bit, some of the three things that really become a part of rural ministry is struggle with vocational identity, isolation, access to resources. But there are benefits that it's primarily relational, that excellence is relative, and it is truly a mission field. And so if you're feeling called to that, if you're in that mission field, you want to know more about it, we can't encourage you enough from the boot camp to go to the ruralpastorpodcast.com and check out that. Check out replanthub.com, another project that we've highlighted on here that Andy is a part of working towards. And man, if you want to know more, just let us know, and we'd love to dive into that with you. Thanks for being with us today, Andy. Man, it's been a blast. And thank you guys for thinking about all the guys out there serving in out-of-the-way places. We all appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.